Hello to you all. My name is Megan Dobraz. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries. And this is usually the point that I would say it's great to be with you this morning. But actually, it's not as awesome because you're not here. Glad for you all. Very. But it is not cool that you're not here. It's actually very hard for me, an extrovert. And this was the first week of school, so I really could have used the congregation today. So, um... If you see a car veering towards you as you're walking around Green Lake, that's me trying to say hi uh, because I'm so excited to see uh, people out and about. But uh, let me start us with a word of prayer. Lord God, I got wrecked by that captain song. Who knows what in the world is happening, but we do know that you're in charge. You've called us to such a time as this, and it's good, and it's hard, and we're in it together. Lord, I thank you that you're in control. Please help us today to realize that on a new level and to lean into that on a new level and get peace from it. In your name, amen. Well, it is Labor Day weekend. The scent of fall is in the air, and we have a tradition around here of setting aside the Sunday of this weekend to talk explicitly about the intersection of faith and work. Sometimes people hear that as faith and works. It's not that. I'm referring to the lens through which we view our world, our faith, and the effort we give to produce or accomplish something, our work. Some of that work we're paid for some of which we do because we believe in or want the thing that it's going to produce or accomplish, like a garden or kids that can succeed in society. We talk about work around here all the time. There are classes, there are groups, there are sermon examples, and then every fall we have this sermon that's explicitly focused on work because it's such a huge part of our lives. It's important. It's one of the primary places that we live out our faith, and the world sees in action what we believe about Jesus. Work is something we typically put the vast majority of our weekly time and effort toward. This year, as we talk about work, We have an altered lens in some way. We have a new shape of work. Two big differences have happened, are happening, and happen to be connected to each other. The first is that for the most of our, most of our worlds now consist of three primary things, three activities and social experiences with really only three categories of people, our family, those we work with, and a small number of friends who we hang out with outdoors. Maybe some of you, it's really only those first two of family and work that you get to interact with. So where work is always an important part of our conversation, an important part of this year, it's now even more so. It's really one of the only things that we can do. So its role in our lives might be one that's getting a little bit more attention, a little bit more thought and time. So the first part is that for the most parts of our lives, work is a little bit more escalated and connected to that, that it's one of our few expressions. The current state of work has changed rather dramatically for a lot of us, and it's continuing to change. For most of us, work looks different today than six months ago before the stay home, stay healthy order was released. For some, that might be some welcome change, a slower work pace, more flexibility, a forced look at our lives to see what really matters most. But for some, there are aspects of work that are much harder. Maybe that's due to unemployment, 
trying to carve out time to work in the midst of children and roommates, all of whom are home all of the time. And then there are, of course, logistics of work that might feel harder. Lack of social connection, definitely. Excess screen time, working, living, eating, sleeping, all in the same space. Even for those whose schedule day-to-day day-to-day rhythm or tasks haven't been affected, there's a level of stress in the air that did not exist six months ago. The Journal of American Medical Association just posted a study on Wednesday that found that nearly one in four people in the U.S. are experiencing symptoms of depression. That's nearly three times the number before COVID. In a similar study done by the CDC in August, they found that these high numbers are even higher for young adults and then for Black and Latino people of all ages. If you're one of those people struggling with depression or anxiety, know that you are in really good company and that there are resources out there that really want to help. If you're ready right now, you can request a chat and have a private conversation with somebody and get prayer and or some resources for more help. We would really want you to have this. If this is the current state of, our, of the work that we're living in, that we're moving about in, an elevated awareness of work in the midst of a lot of change in our work, again, in the last six months especially, how do we interact with this change, especially as we're heading into another season of change? Fall is a season of noted transition here in the Pacific Northwest. School starts back up for you or your kids. And of course, as Jeff mentioned, it's vastly different this year than previous years. Summer is wrapping up. Seattleites begin to move back indoors and put on our gray-toned clothes and flannels. There's an election just eight weeks away. We're swimming in change. And where does our ever-important work fit in the midst of this? If work is changing, are we changing with it? Are we just trying to endure the change until things get back to normal? How does making meaning out of our work continue to be towards the top of our priority list in the midst of all this? Well, the short answer, you can breathe a sigh of relief, is not only does it fit, it also matters. Our work is good. It's a primary way that we express our faith, and God, both collectively and individually, is in the midst of all of our stories. In scripture, we see this repeated narrative of God using the experiences of people to uniquely gift them in the situation that they find themselves. And the story Eric just read, Esther is one of them. Eric read that Esther is in a very difficult situation, certainly not one of her own choosing. Life and trials have been imposed on her in ways that she probably would not have initially chosen for herself. She's afraid to try and use her influence to save her people and fight for justice. And Mordecai reminds her and us in the second part of verse 14, who knows but that you have come to this royal place for such a time as this? Such a good question. Mordecai is suggesting that all Esther has gone through has brought her to this place in order to make a difference in history. Our unprecedented time in history is contextually different from what Esther's was, but the concept and the question are still the same. We are at a pivot point in history for such a time as this. And it's not a coincidence that we are alive, that we are followers of Christ, influencers to those around us in the midst of all that 2020 has contained. 
we, just as Esther and Mordecai did, have a part to play in this narrative. Our work lives are taking place in the midst of a social upheaval, a divided nation, a pandemic, a call for racial justice for our black and brown brothers and sisters, and emotional strain of that's unheard of in recorded history. We're all aware of this. So are our employers, our coworkers, and our employees. If Esther's story wasn't enough to assure us that God is in the midst, Jeremiah 1, 4 to 7 tells of Jeremiah's hesitancy to prophesy and God's reminder to him that Jeremiah has been set apart for this. Even while he was being formed in his mother's womb, he was being being prepared for what God had called him to. In Ephesians 2.10, we're reminded by Paul that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The message version of Ephesians 2, 7 to 10 says it in this really powerful way. Now God has, has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and next to the shower, grace, and kindness upon us. And to sh- Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and, and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Jesus Christ. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make or save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten us ready to do, work we'd better be doing. God is prepping us for this. He's with us in this. He's been prepping us our whole lives. He's even been prepping us the last six months, especially for this season ahead, to make a kingdom difference in our workplaces, whether it be those places that are our vocation or those places that that matter to us, that we believe in, that we want to produce, create, accomplish something in. I'm looking at you, parents of virtual school. So hard. Though Esther's example of for such a time as this is magnificent. She's brave. She puts her life on the line and speaks out against injustice of a minority people group, and she saves them. I mean, it's really an incredible story. The vast majority of us, however, are not going to have this extraordinary one single moment in time that culminates our lives. But rather, through an equation that I'm borrowing from Jeff Johnson, who you'll hear from in just a moment, He has this formula that I've borrowed that maybe our formula for extraordinary is ordinary plus ordinary plus ordinary over the course of time. So it's possible that in this new space of work and reevaluating what God is calling us to that are for such a time as this might feel very ordinary. It might be like my friend who owns a small business and is trying to stay at a place where 85% is the new 100% because she generates enough income to live off of that 85%, and the cost to the rest of her life at her old pace was pretty steep. Or a mere coffee shop that's right down stone next to Gasworks that's using its drinkware to tell stories of marginalized people and using its profits to provide many vacations for those specifically working towards justice and an end to racism. Or maybe it's my friend who's a vice principal, she's in administration and spends Fridays dropping off food for students who wouldn't necessarily have food over the weekends. And it's in a school district that is one of the wealthiest in our state. Or the countless parents who have quit, changed jobs, 
rearranged their whole homes or reduced work hours in order to help with homeschooling or virtual learning. These are ordinary examples that are making a lasting impact because ordinary plus ordinary plus ordinary over the course of time equals extraordinary. We can celebrate the fantastic nature of Esther's story and those who have those culminating moments. Those are amazing. Tell folks. And we can also know that we're creating our own stories. We're writing them alongside of Christ. So what's your for such a time as this? And maybe even more so, what's the for such a time as this for the metaphorical person next to you? That when adding your efforts, make it an extraordinary moment. Today, we're going to hear from a few folks about what their for such a time as this moments are the ways in which their view of work has been changed in the last six months and how God is at work in them. We'll hear of a revitalized view of work and and the extraordinary within the ordinary. I've invited both Jeremy Kelly and Jeff Johnson to share their experiences as they have really different jobs and over the last year have been studying, reflecting, and with a group of others been talking about what it looks like to put their faith into really practical action. Uh, Jeremy Kelly has been around here for a while. He'll tell you a little bit more about himself, and he's one of the faces that makes the camera action work. So thank him for that. If you ever see him at Green Lake. Yeah, I, uh, I've been going to Bethany for six years, and I'm typically the guy up in the booth running the camera, so being on this side of the camera is kind of crazy for me, but it is a huge privilege and honor to be talking um, to you all today. Um, I met my wife at Bethany, and that's one of the best things that's happened to me here. You probably all know her as Emily, the person that tells you what to, uh, you need to know every week, so... She's actually going to hold this against me, like, and being in, on this side of the camera, where she's always on this side of the camera, so, and I give her a hard time sometimes at home, so. Um, so what do I do? Um, I'm a store manager for Starbucks, and for the last 20 years of my life, I've worked in the retail environment, um, and how did I get into a career in retail? Well, I majored in history, and so if you guys want to, you know, pursue a career in retail, Major in history, that'll get you there. In fact, I've made coffee for the last 18 years of my life. So 14 years at Barnes & Noble, um, and then six years at Starbucks. I actually moved to Seattle to do uh, the job. Um, So that's what brought me to Seattle. Um, And man, this year has been probably the most interesting and challenging year um, that I've ever had in the workplace, but it's also been one of the most fulfilling years, and it has really realigned and reshaped what I've thought about work. So um, let me take a look at the old notes here. So what do I do? What, what does a Starbucks manager do? Um, we write schedules. We hire. We fire. We uh, order things. Um, it feels a lot like I heard cats. I have 15 to 20 employees at any one time. Um, who are all pursuing all sorts of uh, goals for themselves. Um, I love being um, someone's first job, so I have a couple high school students that work for me, um, and sometimes I feel like probably what a high school guidance counselor feels like. Um, I have people that work for me that are in college who are trying to figure out how to transition into a career, and sometimes I feel like Dr. Phil at work, so it's pretty wide, um, widely varied. Um, Sometimes I feel like a firefighter. I'm putting out fires. Um, 
as issues come up, and, and that's a good thing, too. It keeps me invested and interested. But I will tell you that I, being in the same store, Magnolia, Starbucks, um, for six years, um, really in the last couple has felt pretty boring, if I'm honest with everybody. Um, and being stuck in this career of retail management, not something that I ever envisioned going into, um, I've always been kind of looking to the future. Okay, God, what next? Um, what do you have for me? When are we, we going to transition into something else? Um, and this time with COVID, one of the biggest things that has changed in my mind and my heart is that I've transitioned from, you know, focusing on the, the future to really the present and really transitioning from what next to what now. Um, because it's kind of unheard of for someone to be so long in the same store serving the same neighborhood. Um, I've been able to develop relationships that I just um, would never have been able to do. Um, they would have never been so deep as being in one spot. Um, and it's been a huge blessing. Um, I have a customer that came in two weeks ago, and she's usually chipper. Hey, good morning. Um, she came in, and she just grabbed her drink, and then she left an envelope um, on the counter and just scooted right out and didn't say anything. And I thought, well, this is strange. So it had my name on it, and I opened it, and um, there was a bunch of money in it and a note. And the note really rocked me. Um, she said, hey, two days ago, my father passed away, and I wanted to thank you and your team so much for serving him so well in the last six years. Um, this is his final tip to you guys. And uh, Lou was an amazing man, and um, he was a... World War II POW veteran and just like salt of the earth kind of guy and he always took care of the team and so man finding that out was hard for us um, but it also felt super honoring to feel like we were part of the family um, where we were updated about this that they actually thought hey we need to tell the team at Starbucks um, what's happened so that is super um reinvigorating to me to see that like my purpose goes beyond coffee. So let's talk about coffee for a moment. Um, let's talk about fall. First of all, M Megan mentioned that we start putting on gray tones in the fall and this was uncoordinated. So I'll have you know, and, and you get to see what Jeff has been wearing next. Um, but let's talk about pumpkin spice lattes. Okay, I get it guys. For the last 18 years of making pumpkin spice lattes, every single year I've been told, oh my gosh, it's too early. Why are you serving it now? What's going on? We don't want pumpkin spice so early. But this year, I haven't heard it. And what that tells me is everyone's ready for some bit of normalcy and some bit of um, just going back to what they remembered. Um, and so I view Starbucks and my job and my team really now as this place where um, we're part of a routine. And my company always tells us that, you know, you're not just serving coffee, you're serving human connection. It's about the human connection. And really this time in COVID has, um, it's never been more real to me than right now. Um, and if I'm honest with you guys, too, I think um, in March, when this all kind of happened, they closed the store for six weeks, and there was a push to get back open again. 
And I had thoughts of, you know, I get, would call it anger of like, why are we being pushed to go back to work? Why are we considered essential? Um, we just serve coffee. Um, and we open the doors in a very safe way. Um, and the gratitude um, and the love that the customers, you guys, have shown us when you come in, um, it was never more apparent that it was very necessary to get back to work. Um, and so I, my heart goes out to you teachers, who I think we started school Friday because it makes sense to start on Friday instead of Tuesday on a three-day weekend. Totally get it. Um, but maybe some of you got, you know, some of you teachers are probably thinking like, man, why are we going back? Like this, we're not ready for this. We don't have the vaccine. Children are going to be at risk. And I would just say, wow, you guys are in such an even more important position to provide stability and normalcy to those families. So I really congratulate you and thank you for that. That's it from me. That was so, that, what, a, what a hard transition. This is what you get when you don't have a professional up here. But Jeff, I'm gonna call you up to now talk about how COVID has changed your work life. Yeah. My name is Jeff Johnson. I've been attending Bethany for six years. I was a member of the 2019-2020 Fellows Group. Uh, Fellows is a nine-month program uh, where a group of us dive deep into the theology surrounding the intersection of work and faith. Um, that's where I met Jeremy. I taught high school for seven years uh, between 2007 and 2014, and thereafter, uh, transitioned into a software development role. Uh, I was the first person hired at this little educational skunkworks startup within a larger company. And I've spent the last six years growing a software product and a team uh, to, to deploy this uh, to the you know, broader world. So um, product management is presently my primary role. And what does product management even mean? Um, Basically, it's uh, guiding how a piece of software is developed uh, based on the needs of three groups of people, uh, your users, your developers, and your investors. So it's, it's about triaging those three groups' needs. Uh, I've done this from home, from my attic, for the six years that I've been at this group. So uh, my wife and I, we have three kids. We started homeschooling them in 2000. 18, and my wife would self-describe as a stay-at-home mom. So basically, we are professionals at staying at home, and our lives map strangely well onto COVID pandemic life. Many of my friends have uh, taken to baking sourdough bread during the time of COVID. I believe sourdough bread is intended to rise. I also believe it is difficult to make sourdough bread rise as it is often delivered with the caveat that it hasn't risen enough. And I don't know if baking bread is a strategy for thriving during times of uncertainty, but I do appreciate that it is an ancient and generous and seemingly ordinary endeavor. Work meetings and Zoom meetings all have started to 
start with greetings, like I hope you and yours are in good health during the time of COVID, as though we were writing letters home from the War of 1812, and I am reminded that the ordinary things are valuable. Pandemics and murder hornets and off-earth vehicles and double-barrel hurricanes and sovereign states all seem to make sourdough bread make sense. All seem to make sourdough bread extraordinary. And I wonder, when does the ordinary become extraordinary? Eating out has become a real treat. Months ago, sleeves of toilet paper may, may as well have contained... Wonka's golden ticket, and I watched an encounter last week at a Walgreens where two men arrived at the same social distance floor dot closest to the cashier at the same time, and one man motioned to the other, you go first. And the other acquiesced, and as he approached the register, he turned and yelled to all of Walgreens, see this? This is what's going to make our society survive. He was vibrant. He was bouncing in excitement that he got to go first, a desire as ancient as childhood, and then he asked for cigarettes, and then it hit me that going first in toilet paper and eating at restaurants and sourdough bread have become extraordinary because there has been this shift in context. These things now exist within a context of social unrest amidst a pandemic during an election year. And then I started thinking about the folks whose ordinary work routines, like mine, did not change in spite of the world shifting around them. I started thinking about the grocery store attendants, the essential service folks, the mechanics who might have never had to work from home or be subject to furlough, but felt the disruption shift in the world around them. And I wonder if their ordinary routines, like sourdough bread, have become extraordinary in this new context. A common grace to still go shopping, and attendants are behind the registers. A common grace to go to Jiffy Lube and be greeted by mechanics. A common grace to know that grandma is still taken care of. A common grace to get on a bus. God's movement to preserve his creation. During my time with the fellows, we discussed some of the myths of vocation. And one of the myths we discussed is this idea that some jobs are more holy or more sacred than others. And in a former context, it may have been easier to view some vocations as more holy and more sacred than others. Pastors and teachers and helping professionals and coaches and missionaries and all these, these really high self-sacrificial jobs. But in the present state of affairs, it's just as evident that God is ushering in his kingdom through the vocations, careers, and routines that would have maybe otherwise been regarded as ordinary. So, we read this book um, during the, fellow, the fellow's nine months and, um, uh, by Pastor Timothy Keller and Catherine Alsdorf, uh, entitled Every Good Endeavor. And, and the two of them write, while the Greek thinkers saw ordinary work, especially manual labor, as relegating human beings to the animal level, the Bible sees all work as distinguishing human beings from animals and elevating them to a place of dignity. They go on to write, 
This also means that secular, you know, secular work has no less dignity and nobility than sacred work of, of ministry. We are both body and soul, and in the biblical idea of shalom, this includes both physical thriving as well as spiritual. And I had never considered building online learning platforms as particularly sacred. I suppose their necessity has grown in the last few months. There were days during the years when the routine of get up, meander up to the attic, respond to emails, make coffee, answer tickets, look at the screen a little more, felt aimless. Yet the present shift in context seems to have given it new meaning. The ordinary rhythms that we have established in Christ to become extraordinarily grounding for our communities, neighborhoods, and cities during times of conflict and suffering. Or to put it another way, God is moving in his creation in common grace as an ordinary work is used to serve more than ourselves, but society in a broader sense. So as Megan may have articulated this lamentation of disruption and as Jeremy was somewhat invigorated by the disruption, I encourage those whose work routines weren't catastrophically disrupted while the world was that what once seemed ordinary now appears to be sacred. The lack of disruption in your routine is possibly God's provision for the common good. And I suppose it isn't difficult to tie this back to our passage for today, that in Christ with God, relief and deliverance are coming. And who knows but that you have come to this position for such a time as this. Thanks, Megan. I think you're up, eh? Hopefully it's pretty easy for you to see why. Jeff was a great teacher, and if you want some coffee and go to Magnolia, Jeremy's usually there in the mornings. So they're both great people. Hope you get to know them a little bit more. But this question that's posed to us, posed to you, is what's your for such a time as this? The reality is, of course, that in all of our lives, there's many for such a time as this, moments for each of us. What does that look like right now for our family? What does that look like right now in our engagement with social issues, in our self-care? Because it's the expression of all these for such a time as this moments that are witnessed and played out at work. We heard one of Jeremy's example where, examples where his perspective was shifted. His, he had a shift of focus and the question was not anymore what's next, but rather what now? How does God want to use you right now to show and spread his kingdom in the world? And we heard one of Jeff's where the structure of work didn't change, but it got reframed to seeing the extraordinary in what we previously thought was ordinary, but actually was extraordinary the whole time. How might God be inviting you to celebrate the little things and taking this mo these moments to thank God for them? Thank God that you get to go first. Thank God that we finally can eat restaurant food at the temperature to which they intend it to be, not just the lukewarm version that we all get with takeout. These are moments of worship and treat them as such. Praise the Lord for them. It is not by accident or coincidence that we are alive, that we are followers of God, and that we have a sphere of influence right now in the midst of a whole bunch of things going on. Your story is important. 
It's written by God and he's active and faithful to you in it. We get the opportunity to follow God's justice, his beauty, and his creativity. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that each of our lives and each of our expressions of our lives are beautiful and unique and special and important and needed. That every single one of us in our ordinariness is extraordinary. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what it looks like to live into this moment to celebrate the ways that we are living into it already and to be able to do that with others. I just certainly pray against anything that we would do that would cause even more division that's already happening. So Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to encourage one another in this endeavor and see you in the midst of it. In your name, amen.